It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And as we take the air on this July 20th, 2022, with an eye on contagious illness, Certainly there is COVID, but there's also the monkeypox, and all sorts of information is out there this summer on both. So we thought we'd connect you with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. Heather has been our go-to expert on this program for the past two and a half years, mostly dealing with COVID, giving us valuable expertise and context on this infectious virus that has disrupted our lives so significantly. As we speak today, Heather, I guess maybe an, a simple question, which is more newsworthy tonight, COVID or monkeypox? Well, I, I certainly hear a lot on the news about monkeypox, but I think, honestly, for the general public, COVID is more what um, the current risk in the community certainly is. And so I would say COVID is what our population, our community really needs to look at with regards to increasing case rates. Um, and and we're kind of heading the wrong direction right now. And COVID certainly will affect um, many more people in our community than monkeypox will. But, you know, back to monkeypox, it's, it's new to the United States. It sounds pretty scary. And it's certainly something that we do need to talk about so that we can alleviate some fears in the general public. Well, why don't we begin with COVID, because that's where we have done uh, our focus for much of the past two and a half years. And as you touched on uh, going in the wrong direction, give us some context as to what you mean by that. Sure. Um, you know, what we've seen over the last, oh, seven days to two weeks is that steady increase again in case rates. When I, I look at uh, the PCR increase over the last seven days, in our bi-county region, it's increased um, by about 21, almost 22%. And that's the PCR testing. We don't get good antigen testing reported to us because that's typically the people who are testing at home and there's no requirement that they phone us, even though it would be really helpful to know what is happening out there with regard to that data. Then um, we look at our our testing center out at CBC West and activity out there is certainly increasing. They saw in the last couple of weeks about a 3% increase in the number of people coming in for testing and the testing, um, excuse me, that's a 3% increase in positivity rate and we're up to about a 40% of all tests out at the uh, CBC West are actually positive. So that's pretty high. Hospitalizations, even though we're seeing people who are very ill and hospitalized because of COVID slightly decreased, we saw a very slight increase in people who are hospitalized with COVID, meaning maybe they went to the hospital for something else, got tested for COVID, and oh, by the way, or test, you know, they get tested and then they're told, by the way, you have COVID too. But I think the one um, piece of data that I find fascinating and we've talked a bit about since the spring is that wastewater concentration of virus. And we're now, when we look at our wastewater concentration of virus rates, we've actually surpassed 
what we were seeing at the height back in January. So what that is telling us is there is a lot of disease in our community. Our wastewater is showing it, but thank goodness our, our illnesses that are causing people to be hospitalized are not very high, and so our hospitalized aren't, hospitals aren't being stressed. But, you know, look what's happening across, even onto the west side of the state, where some of our healthcare facilities are starting to get stressed again with increasing COVID, certainly looking to other states where they're having some significant problems with sudden increases and increase in hospitalizations. So we're, we're sitting right now data-wise starting to see some concerns. And again, as a community, we have the ability to really turn this around and make our data go the other direction, especially knowing that wastewater is telling us there's a lot of infection out in the community. And I guess you touched on that point, uh, not since January, and if you reflect back to January, that was when the Omicron hit, when it was so uh, so heavy and so, so prevalent. Right, and, you know, other variants uh, keep appearing on our, our radar screen, and there's talk about the BA5 variant maybe being a little more transmissible. Um, so all of these factors come into play and tell us, you know, we've talked mitigation strategies for two and a half plus years now, and, and the message is still the same. Can't stress the importance of vaccines enough. It's now available to six months and older. Getting those uh, older adults that are eligible for that second booster, got to get those in people. And then if you haven't been vaccinated yet, get started on the vaccine because COVID isn't going to go away and it can make the difference between a mild illness or a severe illness that could put you in the hospital because we, we unfortunately don't talk about the deaths very often anymore, but we do con- continue to see people die from COVID. And interestingly, you touched on the hospitalizations, and I know where I work at Cadillac, we've been consistently in the, the mid to high teens, which is manageable. But news that's come out this week from a statewide perspective on the hospitals is they're very stressed, and it's primarily because of long length of stay patients and issues that within the larger healthcare system beyond hospitals that the, that part of the system is not fully equipped to handle patients where they need to be cared for, and it creates this bottleneck in the hospital. So, you know, whether it's COVID or not, the hospitals continue to be very stressed. You're exactly right, and I think that's what we as a, a, a community member need to remember is that our activities and how we conduct our lives and our, our more our are we helping to protect ourselves so that we ultimately are really helping that healthcare system from stress and thinking back to what our healthcare providers went through, especially back in January, I really don't want to see us return to that because that was an extremely difficult time for our acute care system. One question that I know has come up in all these different data points and measurements, the CDC now has launched this what is your community level, low, medium, high? And I know all our parts of our area are now considered high. So I guess that's uh, an accurate predictor of, of where things currently stand. And, and we really need people to understand the metrics that go into the CDC data versus what we are using as local data. Um, 
how that information is funneled to Department of Health, how it's interpreted, which metrics are being used. It does get a little confusing to our community when they're looking at our dashboard and wondering why does one say high and one say low? And it really has to do with the background data, how it's collected, and is it just our community data that DOH is using or is it more statewide? especially when it comes to hospitalizations, DOH does really like congregate all of our data together. So what we want people to know is there is a lot of COVID out there. We're not seeing it stress our, our systems yet, but we very, very quickly could end up that part at that, in that direction, especially looking at how it's happened in other communities on the west side particularly and knowing that we could end up back the way we were is not a direction we want to go. So vaccinate, wear your mask, watch your, your events where you're in, particularly inside and congregating with people for you know, long periods of time. So the advice is still the same. In fact, I was just reading today, they're advising Oregon residents to mask up uh, in indoor settings. And obviously, I know no one wants to get to the point where they're feeling mandates are necessary, but I'm sure that's probably prudent advice uh, if you want to take it. And that's exactly our recommendation to the community. At this point, we're not hearing any return to mask mandates. It's really a personal choice to protect yourself and protect others. And our recommendation would certainly be at this point with this much uh, disease in the community that masking would be the prudent thing to do. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. She's kind enough to stick around for another segment. And we touched on that other disease that we're, uh, that is in the news, and that's monkeypox. And we'll get some insight on that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation, and we're visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. We shift from COVID to monkeypox, and Heather, I guess it's not a necessarily a laughing matter, but it sounds like the prevalence of monkeypox is becoming more and more uh, widespread. Uh, widespread being, I guess, I think I was reading a case of roughly 50 cases in the state of Washington, most of those on the west side, but is it something that it's just a matter of time? You know, that's, you're exactly right, Jim. We're seeing most of the cases, well, all of the cases right now are clustered over on the west side in the King County area, and a, and a couple of other counties have a few. But we know it's only a matter of time that it will actually spread across to the rest of the state. So the health department is very vigilant in you know, watching for this arriving. We're messaging our provider community and putting information not only in our website, on our um, Facebook page, and we've uh, done several blogs to try to inform our community about this virus, what to expect, what to look for. But most of all, we really want to um, allay some fears and help people understand exactly how monkeypox is transmitted and, and understand that it is it's really quite difficult to catch monkeypox in a general setting. And when you look at 
people who have actually caught monkeypox, there was definite skin-to-skin, very, very close um, contact. And so you you don't just get it casually from passing somebody in the supermarket or in the mall. The interesting thing with monkeypox is it, it may seem new to us here in America, but it's actually a virus that was first discovered in 1958 in some colonies of monkeys kept for research in Africa. And then the first time it actually appeared in the U.S. was in 1970 when some rodents were imported from Africa for sale as as pets. And we had a real brief experience with monkeypox back then and then not again in the United States until this happened. And what What we know is it's skin-to-skin contact, like I said, and it looks a lot like smallpox. In fact, smallpox and monkeypox are relatives, but it's not related to chickenpox, so they're not relatives. If a person has monkeypox, they typically start out with maybe just feeling a little bit under the weather, maybe some vomiting, a fever, and then it develops into some pustule or blister-like rash. We often hear about a rash. Well, this is a blistered rash. People have little pock blisters all over their body, potentially. Oftentimes, it starts out on the skin, the feet, but unfortunately, it can spread throughout the skin of the entire body. And the person is contagious, like I said, through skin-to-skin contact, or if you're using items such as a towel, a shared towel, washcloth, bedding, and the fluid from these blisters or the scabs from these blisters come off onto that item, and then somebody else uses it. It could be transmitted that way. So, it, like I said, it really takes very specific behavior to catch this, and it's not something you can catch just casually. The other thing we're working on is making sure that we do have vaccine available. Vaccine is in extremely limited supplies, and right now it is only to be used in what we call post-exposure situations. So if a person gets exposed to monkeypox, then they have a brief period of time that we can go ahead and vaccinate them and help prevent them from coming down with monkeypox or at least preventing them from having a severe case of monkeypox. There are also some treatment drugs out there, treatment drugs that were used to treat smallpox that we're hoping to get into our community and make those available to our providers who potentially could be seeing people with monkeypox. So we've been doing a lot of work, especially this week, as these uh, vaccines and treatments are now being made available to local health jurisdictions on the east side of the state and making sure that our provider community knows how to take care of a patient should they show up, how to test that person. But I think more important is to help the general public understand what it is and more than that, what it isn't. We've been getting a fair number of calls from parents concerned about rashes that their children would have right now. And since we're not seeing it in that population at all, we haven't seen it on this side of the state yet, 
Um, we just really have no concerns that what is circulating in those children is just not going to be monkeypox at this time. But it, I guess the, the bottom line for people listening and the people that are calling you, what is your message to them? And, and again, is it inevitable that we would have a case here? You know, it's inevitable that we will get cases locally or other places across uh, eastern Washington. But, again, thinking through where you've been, what you've done, and did you participate in any kind of activity that allowed you to have very close skin-to-skin contact with somebody else who has these pustules on their body who, who could then transmit it to you. So we have a lot of good information on our website. Department of Health has good information, Center for Disease Control. And I would really encourage people to take the time to look at the pictures of exactly what this rash looks like. And that may help allay some fears, especially the calls we've gotten from worried parents. I was going to say, you know, we've spent the better part of two and a half years focusing on an unprecedented pandemic and and now we just slide right into another serious or concerning virus that that is spreading around our world. Um, what do you make of all of it as, a, as an infectious disease uh, expert, someone that, that has been your career? Well, you know, for 39 years, I've, <laughs> I've lived for, you know, the next disease that comes along. And I look back historically where, you know, flu was a major concern and some of the other illnesses that have, have moved around our community. But I still have to admit COVID and now monkeypox are certainly um, unique ways to come toward the, my career end as, as, you know, 39 years is a long time to be in public health. But um, I find these diseases extremely fascinating and I love learning about them, but more important, I really like to help educate our community so that there can be less fear. Once you understand how a disease is transmitted, what it does to you, how to prevent it, and how to treat it, that can help relieve a lot of fear in the community because, you know, our job of pu- in public health is to, you know, promote health and wellness and prevent the spread of disease. And whether it's COVID or whether it's monkeypox has certainly um, put us in the forefront of really needing to message to our community to help our community get through these situations. And if you would, uh, maybe one minute or so left, but just maybe summarize what that education message is relative to this monkeypox. Sure. The, the message is, honestly, go online, look at pictures to see what it looks like. Understand that it is close skin-to-skin contact that is the typical transmission mode. You have to come in contact with somebody who has these lesions. Or if you're sharing linens, sharing towels with somebody who has these lesions, then there's a chance you could catch them also. There is a vaccine available, again, available only in limited supplies, and it's focused on those individuals who've had a known exposure right now and um, need to be protected. Hopefully more vaccine will come on board and we'll be able to expand it further into some of those um, people who are at risk and maybe don't know they have had a very recent exposure. And then again, making sure our care community knows how to look for it, be aware of it, how to test for it, and, and how to treat it. 
Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks for the education on a Wednesday evening. Uh, back with more of Catholic on Call in just a moment. Again, the bfhd.wa.gov, that's the health district website, information on all of these issues that are, should you have questions. Back with more of Catholic on Call in just a moment. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic On Call presented by the Catholic Foundation. And we have talked frequently on this program about the need in the healthcare world about available career opportunities all throughout the healthcare perspective, whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be a nurse, whether you want to work in physical therapy or any of the other therapies, all across the healthcare spectrum. And really, like a lot of industries are seeing uh, throughout our country, that there is a lot of opportunity in the work in the workforce arena, and certainly in healthcare, it's it's never been more uh, critical, I guess you could say, right now. And certainly, there are a variety of reasons uh, for that, among them the COVID pandemic. But there is efforts underway uh, around the country and here in the Tri Cities. I know at Catholic trying to increase interest in people at an earlier age to want to pursue healthcare careers and a program that's been in place for Cal- at Catholic for a number of years, but is only back for the first time this year since the COVID pandemic. It's a program called Here Experience Healthcare, and it's geared toward high school students who are considered or considering or thinking about a career in healthcare. And it's a wonderful week of education and opportunity and fellowship and really learning and uh, one of the coordinators and one of the team leaders of this program is with us now, and that's Molly Calhoun. Molly is a nurse by training, and she's one of the nursing directors at Catholic, overseeing what's called Catholic Clinic, the medical group, and as well as the population health and clinical resource management services at Catholic. But this year, you're, uh, or this week, I should say, Molly, you're, you're an instructor of high school kids and hoping to spark that interest in health care. Maybe uh, from your perspective, uh, what should people know about what's happening over at the HealthPlex in Richland this week with these kids uh, wanting to learn about health care? Yes, thank you, Jim. Um, it's very, very exciting this week. Uh, we get to bring high school students um, from all over our community uh, together to learn about healthcare, um, and not just doctors and nurses, which kind of get you know front page um, advertising and a lot of the healthcare uh, focus, but all, all all aspects of healthcare all across the continuum. Um, and we get to put it in front of these high schoolers who are. Um, full of excitement and energy and potential and hope. Um, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And what what are they learning? I know they come from all uh, size high schools, large high schools, smaller high schools around the region, around the Tri-Cities area. What are, what are they learning? I know it's not just a shadowing type thing. There's a lot of hands-on activity and interaction. Yeah, we have a packed schedule um, for just one week timeline. Uh, they do get um, job shadows, as you said, and we, we try and do our best to uh, create job shadow opportunities that align with individual student interest, um, anywhere from clinical engineering um, to environmental services, uh, nurses, providers, uh, finance, you name it, if it's within healthcare and we can get it um, lined up, we, we really do try to, to get them those job shadow opportunities. In addition to that, we have some guest speakers. One of our providers from the ER talks about um, 
kind of choosing your path and, and how to find success in any career path that you choose. It's a wonderful presentation. Um, we have some simulation labs where we have high fidelity sim equipment. So think um, almost like robotic humans that we can uh do different scenarios with the students. I think one this year we did was was a bee sting and anaphylaxis, and so we we set these mannequins up to react, and the students get to um, do interventions. They get to do skills labs like suturing um, fake skin pads. Um, they they learned from our respiratory therapist about um, airway maintenance. Uh, they also did a mega code today. Um, we do finance activities where uh, we play a game all throughout the week where um, students kind of get handed cards in their groups where they may make money based on a certain event that's on the card they get and they may lose money. And at the end of the week, whatever money they have left, they have to decide how they are going to um, put that money back into the community. And that kind of inter- uh, allows us an opportunity to talk about Cadillac being a not-for-profit um, and, and explain what that is. So uh, this week is just jam-packed with all kinds of learning um, activities for every different type of learner. And one thing that I think is another unique component of this program, and you yourself were one of these group leaders, they're, they're broken up into smaller groups of four or five kids, but each of them is with a, with a mentor who is an actual Catholic employee. And I know it's a role that you had played a, a few years ago, right? Yes, we call them counselors. Uh, so we break our um, all of the students up into individual teams, usually about six students per team, and each team is assigned a counselor. That counselor is with them through the week. We try to get counselors of different backgrounds um, throughout the organization there, so they you know are sharing those unique experiences. But that counselor really guides them in um, developing a relationship as a team, and we tie that back to how important that is in. in healthcare to operate as a team, um, but but also just kind of facilitate the learning experiences, uh, facilitate the relationship building, uh, and it's just an amazing opportunity for our caregivers. Um, when I was a counselor, I was just going through a rough time. I, I was, you know, a little burned out from work, and I got that week to really step back, and they want to know, these students want to know why we went into healthcare, and it really reminded me of my why and reinvigorated me, so every year we get some really great feedback from our counselors. It just kind of lets them, you know, relax and fall fall in love all over again with healthcare, so... And if you would, maybe take a minute. I touched on at the top of this segment, just it seems like for years there's been a healthcare workforce shortage, but obviously with COVID and, and, and you touched on the burnout and, and just the way that, that all across the workforce of, in healthcare that, that people were just stressed in, in serious ways. And so all the more reason to have programs like this to maybe reinvigorate, as you say, and spark the interest of not only new people, but those people that are in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. It could not be more critical need at this time. So as you said, it, it's so important to think when we're thinking workforce development to, to look at our future workforce and find that potential, especially within our community. Um, but be, but beyond that, beyond experience healthcare, care, um, yeah, retaining our current caregivers uh, that we have is 
is key to our success. And then also, you know, in today's today's environment, you really have to be um, creative in, in your approach to recruiting. And, and while that can be extremely challenging and, and often frustrating when, when you have such a critical need, I also think there's a little opportunity in there, you know, um, in our, in our, creativity as we're trying to, you know, recruit um, people. I think our, our recruitment strategies are a little bit different. And so I'm hoping that helps us diversify and reach populations who, you know, we may not have reached before and tap some of that type of talent that exists within our community. Um, so, yeah, it, it's challenging, but but I do have hope that, you know, from that challenge, you know, there, there's a good outcome and, and we get some really uh, some really great talent um, brought into our organization. At least this group of 20, and I know I happened to be over uh, for lunch the other day, and it was neat to talk to them. I think in asking them what their career path they were looking at, there was, gosh, I think a pediatric surgeon and an intensive care specialist and an OBGYN nurse and an ER doctor. And and so they, they have high ideals and high they're set sight high, don't they? They sure do. It's, that that in and of itself is energizing. I mean, they just got their future before them. They are so excited. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fun it's fun to participate in. Well, Molly, thanks to you and all of the the, the crew that's taking part in, in making this possible. And I, I should mention, I, Molly's a member of the Catholic Foundation Board, so in her spare time, she serves on that. And the Catholic Foundation, I know, has helped uh, financially support this program with scholarships from, from some of the students who might need that help. So, Molly, thanks so much for everybody, and, and have a great rest of your week. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. Molly Calhoun with Catholic Regional Medical Center talking about experience health care. And when we come back, our final segment, we're going to be joined by a young man who is about to embark on a medical school career. And he was an experienced health care student a few years ago. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation, and we're getting you informed about a program underway at Catholic called Experience Healthcare, where high school-age students spend a week learning about all facets of the healthcare industry, hoping to spark an interest. Some of them already do. Some of them may not know that they do yet, but it's all designed to help replenish and impact the workforce in the healthcare industry in a positive way. And we're happy to welcome to the program right now a young man who about five or six years ago himself experienced experienced healthcare, and uh, he's now uh, about to uh, embark on a medical school career. And so welcome to Ben Hollenberg, and Ben is a senior-to-be at Washington State University. And Ben, you're calling tonight from Omaha, Nebraska. Tell us what you're doing down there. Yeah, it's great to be on. Um, I am currently on a research internship um, with the University of Nebraska uh, Medical Center. So that's part of your your education uh, as you uh, get ready to finish. And where are you in your schooling at WSU, and, and what's what's next after you graduate? So I'm currently uh, a rising senior. I graduate in December, and then after I graduate, I'll take a gap semester 
and then attend uh, Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine in fall of 2023. So you're going to be a doc. Yes. Yeah, that is the plan. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, well, that's that's fantastic. Um, and congratulations on that. And I would just, you know, maybe we touched on this. We're talking about this experience healthcare, and and way back when you're, what are you, a Kamaik and Brave alumnus? Is that correct? I understand. Yes, yes, Kamaik and Brave. Kamaik and Brave alumnus. But talk a little bit about when take yourself back to when you were a sophomore or a junior to be in high school when you took part in this program. What led you to do it? And I guess what did you learn that maybe helped get you to where you are today? Well, I was interested in healthcare. I've been interested in the career as a physician since about the fifth grade. And I heard about the program and I thought, hey, this would be a good chance to sort of get a glimpse at what this career would actually be like. And so I heard about it through my school's announcements and signed up. And it was just a super great experience. I kind of got a view of the behind the scenes aspect of medicine. I got to shadow physicians. I got to learn about triage and the different issues in the healthcare system um, and sort of what, how a hospital functions. And it really just fueled my desire to become a physician and really strengthened my resolve to go forward with that career path. It was just a great experience. So fifth grade. So what in fifth grade happened that made you wanted to be a doctor? Well, um, I'm not sure. It was kind of that's kind of the point where I knew I, I really wanted to be a doctor. All through my life, I've uh, had food allergies, uh, currently peanuts and walnuts. And uh, that experience really made me want to help others who have similar conditions. And so I really wanted to go into the research of food allergies and potentially make a cure for it. And then as I looked more into it, I saw that I could help people more, more immediately as a physician or more specifically as an allergist immunologist. And so in fifth grade, I decided, okay, I think I would want to do that career and sort of went forward with that. <laughs> so nice. You get on to high school and then you graduate and head up to WSU. What did you major in? Major? I, I started as a microbiome major um, and then switched to medical sciences because that, was, that would let me graduate a semester earlier. So now you're off uh, next step on the, in the rung is, is medical school. So that's four years, correct? Yeah, that's four years. And then if I do allergy immunology, a three-year residency in internal medicine or pediatrics, and then a two- to three-year fellowship in allergy immunology. So school, you got a little more school to do, right? <laughs> yeah, just a, just a bit, just, just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> but, but, but hearken back to when you were in high school and you're going through this program, I'm guessing some of that education that you learned, especially uh, from folks probably you touched on uh, shadowing physicians and the like, that I'm, obviously it was made very clear to you the amount of schooling required. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, yeah, the path to medicine is very long. And you have to be very serious about wanting to go into it. And I think they they did mention that and, and talked about, you know, what kind of what the different steps to medicine are and the timeline for that and how, you know, with, with the different steps, you're going to be learning different things. Like once you get into medical school, the first two years will be more academic and the second two will be more clinical. And then once you're in residence, you're basically doing similar things that a doctor would do. Um, and so... Yeah, just learning about that timeline was pretty helpful and understanding what I was kind of getting myself into. 
So as you, uh, any family history, so you touched on, you want, you know, your, I guess your own personal health issues piqued your interest, but uh, you have family history in, in the healthcare world at all? Um, not really. I'm, I'll, I'll be the first physician in my family, um, but my dad was a physical therapist, and I, I would imagine that that affected um, my path and looking at, like, what careers I could be interested in, the fact that he works in healthcare. Well, I, I, I think I'm sure they're very proud of you. Your folks and your family is very proud of you. And congratulations on what you've already accomplished and what's what's yet ahead. I, I guess I would tap you in as a recruiter um, for people. Uh, if, if there's a high school student that happens to be listening to this, uh, what would your advice be uh, to consider healthcare as a career? Oh, I I would say um, if you're considering healthcare as a career, definitely. Try to shadow, try to try to see what being a physician is really like, because I think a lot of times the um, the career of a physician can be glamorized. And so I think it's good to have programs such as Experience Healthcare to sort of see the the whole whole aspect of being a physician and uh, what being a physician is all about. And I think if you're able to shadow. And to see that in person, that'll really give you a good idea as to if it's a career you might want to be interested in. Well, Ben Hollenberg, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us from Nebraska. Continued good luck. Yeah. Uh, go Cougs. Best wishes on your uh, medical school uh, as you uh, your next phase in your career. And thanks for taking the time to be with us. Ben Hollenberg who's going to go to the WSU Medical School, the Elson Floyd School of Medicine, after he finishes his WSU undergrad degree in December. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.